This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger and the Falcon. The best of the ITC bring the beef at the Beef and Wing in Buffalo, Canada. Did Alex Harrison suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or take ripped arms against a sea of ETC stars at Denmark SlagCon? Meanwhile, down under, the annual Terracon GT is once again the least terrifying thing about Australia this week. And swinging back north, we'll unveil what's under the hood at the Hooded Goblin GT in Georgetown, Ontario. President Monroe, John Paul Jones, and now Austin Wingfield? Who walks away from the Third Battle of Fredericksburg and the War in the Burg? Question, what do Warhammer and an enviable real estate market have in common? Answer, apparently the amiable bright Kelowna GT. I believe that's what they call a clean intro, and this is what they call 40K Stat Center. How you doing tonight, Mr. Falcon? I'm doing amazing. How are you, Mr. Heffelfinger? Well, you know, it's nice to get this particular bird off the ground. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners joining us after our initial pilot. We received some amazing feedback so far. We want you all to keep it coming. Uh, We're going to be coming to you uh, via the signals from the Frontline, uh, I guess, stream or, you know, podcast thread uh, that Frontline Gaming releases. And we're also going to be appearing on YouTube where you can subscribe to us also on the Frontline Gaming area so we've got we've got a big cozy group get huddled in together everybody welcome to the frontline gaming podcast network audience and this brand new show warm as a hug Hmm. now did you have anyone uh, that you wanted to thank Uh, you were down in bao were you not I was, yeah. Two weeks ago, I went over to the beautiful San Francisco and took part in the BAO as a commentator. And I just want to uh, give a big shout out to all the people that uh, came up to me and uh, talked podcasts, talked about Stat Center, gave me all, gave us uh, all that really amazing fa- feedback face to face, and also for helping me out. I mean, uh, I was away from home for about two weeks, not of my own accord, and people were sending me stats and emails with lists and everything I needed to uh, to catch back up once I got got home so it was like this is just the reason why i love this community that is the reason why we all love you and we're very happy to hear that you're back at home and uh and joining us on this show um this show by the way will be releasing uh maybe mondays maybe tuesdays maybe wednesdays ish uh the goal is to be weekly there's a lot of content to gather and, and put together for this uh not least of all the stats that drive all of it thanks to uh peter um, but also uh, in gathering the interviews. And speaking of interviews, this episode is chocked full of familiar names from all over competitive 40K across the world. We've got folks from Denmark, Australia, North America. It's a big, wild 40K party. In fact, perhaps a little too chocked full, but that's all about uh, the feedback that you guys can give us. Um, also, you may notice that uh, there's still some pilot-style qualities to this episode. A few of the interviews are going to be cut off. I'm very sorry about it. Still learning how to make use of this very fancy mixing board. Uh, hopefully, at least uh, the levels are a little bit better, and it's a little easier to listen to, even though people get cut off. Um, I like so, what you did there. Yeah, you like what I did there. So, you know, we're just working a few kinks out. And uh, what are, what's your favorite kink to work out, Peter? 
It's really hard to say. Uh, the wife is a, a little tame in the bedroom, so Ooh. I try to keep it to myself. Um, well, don't pass, what about you? Don't pass the buck on that. I mean, my king's very simple. It's it's uh, very small toy soldiers. Oh, yeah. They do fit in weird places, don't they? Uh, they sure do. And you know what else does? Well, kind of. Beefs, beef and wings, <laughs> uh, which is a plural and a single singular uh, conjugation of those words. But anyway, uh, the beef and wing brawl uh, took place last weekend. It's going to be the first uh, point of our coverage. Uh, as reported on this week's Chapter Tactics, the beef and wing brawl took place in Buffalo, Canada. After the formerly Buffalo, New York was purchased by their northern neighbors at a police auction, I believe it went for a bag of ketchup chips. That's exciting. It's a lot less than I would have expected. I was, uh, I had heard we were trying to get them at least six coffee crisps. Six coffee crisps. We're not talking about Tonawanda here. Okay, this yeah, is a very, right. very different situation. <laughs> um, but it was an exciting event. Ninety-eight players, which makes it, I think, the largest of the weekend, or really close to it. Uh, and they piled into the Adams Mark Hotel for beef, beer, wings, and Warhammer. Um, but why listen to me when we can listen to David Koska, 40K luminary and organizer of the Beef and Wing Tournament? Give us a little bit of a, a background on the event. Let's listen to the champion. The brawl this year was held at the Buffalo Grand Hotel. Uh, it is literally right across the border. You could pretty much go right off an on-ramp and park right there. Uh, is right next to the waterfront, uh, a couple miles away from like anything you want in the city. So it's a pretty great location. And uh, we had outdoor seating just to catch the sun. It was beautiful. Beautiful that day. So a little background. Uh, Beef and Wing is actually a group of uh, hobby enthusiasts that have uh, come together on multiple occasions to uh, throw down for team events like Adapticon and whatnot. Um, yeah, so we one day just thought to ourselves, why not run an event? Because we really love the hobby and we want to give our community a chance to see what it's like to go to a big event. I mean, a lot of people don't get the opportunity in our neck of the woods to go to a Nova or, you know, an LVO. So we want to give people the opportunity to do that. Me and Costco are just so tight. Like we can finish each other's sentences. Isn't that amazing, Peter? Yeah. I mean, and he has the voice of an angel. He really does. Um, and bright, shining eyes. Let's let's let him wrap up uh, his his uh, discussion of the beef and wing. And uh, this event is very community driven. Uh, all the tables are donated mostly from gaming clubs around the region. Uh, not all within the region. Um, we had a bunch of tables coming from Sudbury and some from Ottawa. Uh, but that's the great thing about this game is that people will go to extraordinary lengths to make sure that their friends are accommodated. We appreciate everyone in our community for or what they do to help out Beef and Wing. And it really is a uh, it really is a community effort down there. I got to go last year where uh, all I remember is a at that time nameless jib vessel absolutely donkey punched me all the way through I think the second round. Um, so a large <laughs> number of uh, big names showed up to the event. ITC frontrunner DJ Lanigan and aforementioned Jim Vessel were in attendance, as well as top competitors Nick, Nanava Nick Nanavati and Jack Harpster. Would TJ and Jim battle it out yet again? Would Nick win his second event in the last month? Would TJ finally dress down for God's sakes? Have I you mean, that man. And no, I've seen him. Oh, I've seen him. Like those ties, those clips. You know, and they're all like skulls and stuff. I don't know where he gets the accessories. Nice. Absolute rock star. He's a super rock star, very sharp, always buttoned down. Um, but uh, yeah, as as uh, we may have hinted at, TJ actually wound up on top. He uh, he vaulted past uh, what was actually the top table um, uh, between 
Nick Natavati and Jim Vessel. But um, as uh, we've, we've got PJ here, he's going to talk actually to us a little bit about this list because his list and Jim's list, you know, on the top two tables, essentially, uh, very similar. And I thought the listening public might like to hear TJ's opinion about what gives that particular demon's build a hard time. And I think this is very important considering these two guys are the top two in the ITC right now. Very salient point. All right, so lists that give uh, my list and Jim Vessel's list trouble. Um, guard, uh, specifically Cadian Guard, with a lot of mortars, wire-ins, basilisks, you know, a lot of indirect fire, a lot of shooting. Uh, Cadian, because of Relic Lost Cadia, you get overlapping fields of fire as well. You get revenge for Cadia. So a lot of plus ones to hit, which, you know, negate our minuses and then just tons of firepower. It's a very tough match. Um, I would say Tau um, can give us some trouble depending on what the matchup is, depending on what the terrain looks like. That's pretty rough. And then Eldar with a lot of shooting as well. So that could be tough. Uh, lots of wave serpent spams kind of negate our smites and things like that. So that's a pretty rough list as well. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but I, I thought that people were strapping in 40k. And it sounds like TJ says that the best antidote to uh, this list, which has been dominating, is firepower. Uh, how could it be possible that the meta is coming up so short against this thing so consistently? I think it's a very interesting question. Uh, one thing I will say, and, and we'll be talking a bit more about this on Chapter Tactics next week when we go over a kind of a post-fact stats review, um, is that people are starting to pack that firepower, but it's not yet quite the people that, uh, that, you know, the household names that we've come to expect. Uh, Brandon Grant has started uh, going full-on Astro Militarum and has been doing very well. Um, Signals of the Frontline's very own Reese Richard Robbins went on quite the rant about how he was an unstoppable juggernaut with Astro Militarum, who will never be beaten as far as I understand it. No man uh, can stop him. No man can stop that man. Uh, but that being said, um, they're few and far between. And uh, we're coming to a point now uh, where people are either building Jim and TJ's list and aren't there yet because they don't have 100 reps with it, um, or they're trying to stop it, but they don't quite have a full understanding of how to get it done. Okay. So why don't you set up, um, uh, you know, as, as actually we were just talking about this, actually, Jim Vessel and Nick Nadavati. Um, uh, obviously, we haven't gone over Jim Vessel and, uh, and TJ's list. It's been covered ad nauseum, although always entertainingly by both those gentlemen uh, on podcasts far and wide. So that's why we didn't go into it. However, one Nick Nanavati, uh, he did come into uh, Beef and Wing with a newer list, uh, definitely a departure from what he's been running in very recent history. Do you happen to have that dialed up uh, to maybe do a rundown for it, Peter? 100% Val. So Nick Nanavati, he brought his uh, new-to-him Muscle Beach uh, Gene Stealer Cults list. He's run it a couple times recently in GTs. He, I believe he won a GT, if not last week, then the week before with it, um, and has placed very well in a couple other events uh, with similar variations on it. Um, the list is a Twisted Helix Battalion with the Anointed Throng uh, Specialist Detachment attached to that, with a Patriarch, a Primus, three squads of Brood Brothers, two squads of 10 Aberrants and a Nexos. He's also got a four-armed Emperor Battalion that's Deliverance Brood Surge with a Patriarch of Primus, 19 Acolytes with Hand Flamers, 15 Acolytes with two Roxas, another squad of 10 Brood Brothers, a Keller Morph, and then finally, and this is the newer addition to his list that we're starting to see, a Brood Brothers Supreme Command Detachment with three Battle Cannon Tank Commanders. 
pretty, pretty spicy and perhaps has the firepower that we were uh, just alluding to with TJ. However, uh, one notable thing about the GSC list is that it is not an orc list. So we asked uh, Nick just to maybe give us some background on what inspired that shift. In the first portion of the season, I was playing a lot of orcs, mostly because they were what I had that was competitive at the time. And I had just collected a 2000 point orc army thanks to the help of Army Painter and my sponsorship with them. Recently, though, I've been indicted to by ETC Team Ruling to play Gene Steeler Cult for them, so I've been trying to get as much practice with Gene Steeler Cult in as I can. I've taken Gene Steeler Cult to all three events, and although they had a stiff learning curve, and I started out my Gene Steeler Cult adventure going 0-7 in my practice games, I turned it around after enough practice, and I've won Best General at two different events, and Best Overall at another one. So I'm really happy to see the progress go there, and I, I'm pretty happy with the army as a whole. I think Gene Cult is one of the most strongest, fun, and dynamic armies out there. I think that's a really fantastic army. This is of Gene Stealer Cult, Nick Donavati, and also I just really wanted to address something here. There's been some controversy with the fact that Nick is playing for Team England at the ETC this summer, uh, and uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, maybe some mud has been thrown his way, but it turns out he was indicted by Team England, and... Uh, and I just never thought that we'd see uh, Nick in this kind of hot water. It's it's really rough. I'm uh, I'm a little worried. Um, as a colonist myself, um, I know the power the Queen has over people. Terrifying. Um, yeah. So um, I, I really hope that he's able to find a really solid lawyer somewhere in the Warhammer community that can maybe get him out of the situation. Uh, I believe they call them solicitors, but I'll leave this to Nick to Google. Um, we're going to allow Nick now maybe to go into a little bit of detail about his particular brand of Gene Steeler cults uh, versus some of the other versions that you may have seen uh, seen around, like, for example, uh, Juices from Adepticon. Here's Nick on his version. The GSC list I used at Beef and Wing has been an evolved version of a lot of different concepts I've been trying over the past couple months. It all centers around two big units of Aberrant Phil. Every list I start basically run, starts as double battalion with 20 Aberrants. I've contemplated tons of different ideas between triple GSC battalions, which I used at two previous GTs, some nids with Swarmly and Steelers, Zoanthropes even, and this time at Beef and Wing I used Tank Commanders. I'm not sure what the best way to finish the list is off yet, and I don't even know what the best way to complement it is. Everything I try keeps on working, so I guess it's a good problem to have. But at the same time, um, I am trying to optimize my list for various different formats, ETC, ATC, Nova, etc. And it's kind of hard when everything keeps working. So, like I said, it's a good problem to have, but I'm not really sure what direction. Uh, what direction he's going to take. Again, me and Nick very close. I can finish his sentences too. Um, you know, when you can't find uh, choices that don't work, I believe they call that the brown magic. I have nothing more to say. This man is a legend. He's a genius, and apparently he can do no wrong. Uh, except for in the eyes of the queen. Now, he got to the, uh, as we were mentioning, top table versus Jim Vessel, and there were some odd reports coming out of the interwebs, the deep dark web, if you will, uh, regarding this. Uh, is there anything that you could do to bring us up to speed with this uh, uh, slander? So yeah, Val, I mean, like, I don't know what to say. I, I've been hearing reports uh, from, a, from a source uh, that uh, there was some collusion going on in that game, like that Jim and Nick were trying to get a draw. I'm not quite sure. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but how many undefeated players were there? Well, going into round five, there were six undefeated players. Uh, so really, it was anybody's game. So colluding would probably be the dumbest thing I've ever possibly heard of trying to do at that point. 
Oh, for sure. Unless you really, really want third place. I mean, for all I know, maybe Beef and Wing gave hand jobs for a third place uh, prize. And I mean, everybody likes one of those. Well, it is Buffalo. Now, um, and you know, this is also maybe an alternate narrative here. You know, Nick and Jim, they, they win a lot. Maybe they just wanted TJ uh, to, to, to get a little bit of a leg up. Oh, you know what? There you have it. I mean, it's it's all been solved. We can all go home. Now, you know what? Like, I'm not going to name anybody directly, but my source, we can call them Spiky B. I mm-hmm. really don't think they have any idea. Uh, given that the final score was 20 to 19 in Nick's favor, I, I think, like, for them to have cheated, Jim and Nick would have to be either really bad at math. I mean, it's very possible. Super Warhammer possible. really has nothing to do with numbers or probability, right? Mm-hmm. No. Um, uh, why don't we swing over now for uh, from from the Nick Brown's mouth? What uh, actually happened on that uh, at the time top table? In my last round at the Beef and Wing GT, I was playing against Jim Vessel. Jim and I had been one on one in our previous games. I played him at the Nova Open back in August and won handily, and then I played him at the CTC after he's been winning a whole bunch of GCs himself and narrowly lost by one point. So this was my chance to settle a score and get the tiebreaker round. Jim and I were playing on the final table. However, there were other undefeated players as well because it was a 100-person battle point tournament with only five rounds. So I was the, the, the race for first place was pretty close. Jim was, had me by two points, and I was in second ahead of TJ, who was in third, by three points. Jim and I played a very cagey close game, as our games tend to go, and I narrowly won by just one point. However, TJ, on the table right next to us, demolished a Custodes player, um, scoring 41 out of a possible 42 points and jumping miles ahead into first place, which would have been, which would have taken, which would have, of course, uh, taken him right in the lead. Uh, that, uh, you know, uh, unnamed custodies player, dear friend of mine, Ian Stewart, playing out of his shoes that weekend, got to 4-0 with his custodies list, only to be crushed. Uh, decisive fashion by TJ with his uh, winning game that uh, took him into first place. But uh, we'd like to say that, uh, uh, you know, greatness stands on the shoulder of giants. And uh, this win, TJ was standing on Ian's golden-crusted shoulders. So uh, he's got maybe Ian to thank for that one. Um, One final list that we were going to have a look at here is, uh, you know, on the theme of uh, people who I know or are from the GTA. Um, We're going to take a look at Team Dietlif... Team... Tim Dietliff's list. Uh, uh, why don't you cue that one up and read it on through? Sure. So first off, for everybody that isn't aware, Tim Dietliff's is a national treasure right up there with Jim Vessel. I believe his face is on our $2 coin. Um, anyway, he brought a Ulthway Battalion with Eldrad Ulthwan, uh, a Warlock, two squads of 20 Guardian Defenders with Scatter Laser Platforms, a squad of five Rangers, three Night Spinners, which have kind of started to become ubiquitous for um, alternate Eldar builds, we'll call them. He also had a Harlequins Battalion that was mixed. He had a Shadow Seer, a Troop Master, three squads of troops, which is, I believe, the spicier element to the list, one squad of 10 and two squad of five. All of these, by the way, were Frozen Stars. He then included a Death Jester with uh, the Dreaming Shadow uh, tactic because of that beautiful relic curtain fall and uh, he had a, a drukari uh, cult of the cursed blade battalion with two succubi and two squads of 15 witches along with a last five man squad of them witches 
Thank you very much for that beautiful cold read. So Tim is a uh, member of uh, Team Canada, our ETC team this year. Um, you'll hear his name again in the future. And we're just going to let him uh, talk a little bit about his list here before we move on to the next event. The uh, special part of my list that I found uh, people didn't really know what they did was the entire Harlequin detachment. Uh, a lot of people didn't realize how good the Death Jester is at sniping characters or how much damage the big Harlequin unit can do and how surprisingly durable I can make them. Um, and they Harlequins have a ton of very good one command point stratagems. And in the list, I had 18. So I was really um, capable to take advantage of all of them. And uh, the Harlequins proved to be very useful for killing vehicles and uh, going behind screens and killing characters, like I said before. Uh, and they just mulched demon princes, vehicles, helped with knights. Uh, they are my MVP for sure. Thank you, Timmy, for that uh, in-depth analysis. You can, of course, take a look at all of these lists on 40kstats.com under the top force section of that website. Super handy. Uh, and we're going to move it on now from Buffalo, probably Ontario, maybe Western New York, Canada. We move to the other side of the Atlantic Ocean for our next event near the former Viking fortress of Slazegil, Denmark. A pleasant one-hour drive from Copenhagen, SlagCon, a 67-person event, was the largest Warhammer tournament ever to take place in Denmark, running slightly modified ETC scoring, and it was filled with player for players from around the European meta. Uh, we have actually some uh, some introduction clips uh, from Anders, who's uh, the uh, head TO of the event, and uh, he's a cool guy. Why don't we let him uh, talk about his event a little bit? Hi, my name is Sander. I am the event organizer of Slavcon in Denmark. Our event has been around for five years, the last three as a GT, and uh, this time we went from only a 40k tournament to hosting a lot of games. Age of Sigma, uh, Warmer Horde, and um, we also had a doubles in 40k, and um, we also had Ninth Age and Horse Heresy. My goal with this event is to make a hundred players GG for the 40k, and of course other games as well. But our main event is 40k. Slavkon is held in a little town an hour outside Copenhagen, Denmark. We strive to have a cozy, friendly, and yet hardcore tournament scene with playing Warhammer during the day and drinking hard during the late evening and night. The last we do very well. One of our sponsors is Arndt Bitter, a 50% alcoholic bitter, strong, deadly, uh, and we love it. Uh, next up, uh, he's actually just going to run down some of the international players and, and folks who, uh, who came in uh, from outside of Denmark uh, to uh, play in the event. So, Val, before you cut to that clip, I just need to ask, did he say they were sponsored by Ambitter at 50% beer? Yes. 5-0? Yeah, that, that's for real. They take it seriously. It seems like this was um, maybe mostly a drinking tournament uh, of some kind, um, but uh, they, they, they took that part at least as seriously as the 40K. Now, I'm going to say, like, you and I are both Canadian. We understand uh, the, the drinking needs of a community, but 50%, did any of them die? Uh, it didn't sound like there were any casualties. Maybe some of the foreigners uh, had, a, had a rough go of it. Um, I do, however, like the trend of a 40K tournament with an official booze sponsor. I mean, that if there, if there is money to be made by any outside influencers, uh, I'd say alcohol companies uh, would be the first in line 
Um, that all being said, uh, the 50% beer was an attraction, as was the, the high level of competitive play. Anders is going to go over some of the top players that were attracted to the event. Some of the Danish Gaia veterans at the Danish ETC team were also predicted to finish at the top as they came second in the ETC last year. Thomas Donslund, the Danish captain. Aslak, also a Danish veteran, we had our bets on. But a debutant on the Danish ETC team won the GT. His name is Rune Kappel, uh, so watch out for him in the future. He's a very competent player. One German in particular, Simon Erding, were predicted to win it all. Uh, along with our big surprise, Alex Harrison, he decided to come to both the Invitational and the GT. He won the Invitational and came second in the GT. He's the biggest 40k player we had at the, uh, at the tournament, and a very nice guy. There you have it. Anders Al, uh, has it here on the record. Alex Harrison, a very nice guy, and we've got some clips from him uh, coming up, and I think you'll all agree. Um, why, don't we, uh, why don't we hit at least uh, uh, Rune's list uh, before we do a quick interview with him, uh, with, with what he uh, has to say about it. Uh, do you happen to have that one dialed up? For sure. So Rune Capel, uh, he brought a, an Astra Militarum Acadian Battalion with the Emperor's Fist Tank Company Specialist Detachment. He had three tank commanders, all with battle cannons, three infantry squads, 10 Bulgren, a Minostorm Priest, a, two Astropaths, and then another battalion, also Cadian, with uh, two company commanders, three infantry squads, and uh, three mortar squads, three, three, uh, three times three mortar squads, although one of them he replaced a mortar with a missile launcher. Um, and then finally he had a Blood Angels battalion with two of the uh, ever-popular Smash Captains, an eight-man uh, Intercessor squad, and then two five-man Scout squads. Okay, so that's uh, Rune again, and he uh, went 5-0. Uh, uh, this was a Battle Points tournament, obviously, in the uh, ETC style. So uh, let's just hear his thoughts on on his uh, ultimately winning list. Hi, Rune here from Denmark. I played uh, in Aster Militarum, uh, soup with souped up with Blood Angels and one assassin. Um, I think uh, that my MVP in this tournament was a combination of the Bulguns. I have nine Bulguns combined with the two Blood Angels Smash Captains. They allow me to uh, push forward when I need to protect my three tank commanders or hold back and counter charge when someone is um, eager to get in my face. And that's a really strong combination uh, that allows me to uh, protect uh, my shooting and also take the board and push other back, uh, big units back. Uh, example, uh, knights, is players is afraid to go forward, forward with the knights when there's a smash captain hiding behind some bulgrins in the center in the center of the board and then i can sometimes outrange them with my, with my tank commanders um yeah it was a fun tournament and i'm very glad to uh... i'm sure he's very glad to have attended uh thank you for your comments there rune um next up we have uh, alex harrison who is running a thousand suns and uh and demons list a little bit of a change of pace for what he's been running i guess uh you know, the most notable list, uh, I think, uh, that I've seen of his was the flyer list of uh, the Eldar flyer spam. That's so already a long time ago. He's probably run a thousand armies since. But nonetheless, um, why don't uh, we run down what uh, Mr. Harrison was running? For sure. So Alex Harrison, he brought a Chaos Demons Battalion 
he had a this I believe was uh, Chaos Undivided. He had a Poxbringer, a Changecaster, ten Brimstones, twenty five Pink Horrors, twenty nine Plague Bearers, then a Thousand Suns detachment with Ariman, a Demon Prince, uh, a Sorcerer and Terminator armor, a Zangor Shaman, two blocks of twenty five Zangors, and a squad of ten Cultists, and uh, he tied it all up with a Supreme Command detachment uh, with the Soulforged Pack Specialist detachment out of Vigilus Ablaze. That was Flawless Host, and uh, that was merely three Lord Discordants on Hellstalkers. Goodness gracious. Now, we had a little bit of speculation on this list, if I do recall, uh, uh, on Chapter Tactics this week, or at least a similar build to it. Uh, so why don't we uh, go to the Harrison's mouth and uh, actually hear his thoughts on, on this particular list build. I wouldn't say there's anything special about my list. I mean, if people are looking at it, you can kind of notice the fundamentals of the list, um, which people have been seeing around the world uh, for the last sort of two years now. I mean, everyone's been raving about Jim Vessel's list, but this has been uh, in the ETC, as some people might know, for, for a while now, the sort of uh, Demon Thousand Sons mix. And it, it is a very strong list. Um, but recently, because of all the nerfs to other armies, uh, it's it's become a lot stronger. Um, the the big, biggest twist in the list, I guess, is the Three Lord Discordants. Now, they've just obviously just come out, so not many people have had a chance to play test against them or with them. Uh, but I had three models and I put them in and Jesus, they're awesome. Especially the flawless host ones. They get so many attacks. They're really fast. Um, with the soul forge pack, they, they, they move, uh, minimum 28 inches plus 2d6 advance if you use the strat. Uh, because of warp time, obviously that's how you get in the 28 inches. So they catch a lot of people off guard and they hit like a truck. One final point, uh, the important thing about the list and how it works will definitely be terrain. It, it doesn't work on an empty board. And luckily, Slagcon had some amazing terrain. Um, not just uh, the terrain, but the boards all had uh, you know game mats on them. So the whole tournament was really enjoyable. It was really well run. And I definitely recommend it to all the Europeans who are thinking of traveling locally, or even the Americans and Australians who fancy coming over for a big tournament. This tournament's going to get bigger. And it's already um, drawing in, you know, big crowds of really top tier players. So it's definitely going to be one to watch out for. Uh, the MVP in my army is either going to be the Tsangors or the Lord Discordants. Both put so much pressure on your opponent, either via Deep Strike or Redeploy with a Dark Matter Crystal. Um, or the the speed in which the Lord Discordants can go. Um, I mean, those Lord Discordants were killing knights. Like they were nothing. Uh, they were killing Bulgrins. They were just anything they hit with all the buffs that they can get from the psychic powers was amazing. Um, however, the Tsangors were giving me the pressure on objectives, were you know charging and wrapping units. So uh, they both worked um, well together, I'd say, um, because it's giving you a different threat on each side of the board. Um, but it, it's all, it's key on how you use them. You don't throw them in early. You know, my Lord Discordant sometimes weren't being warp timed forward until like turn three, um, after the Tangles have cleared the screen. So you've got to be quite careful with the list. It, it does, it's not a point and click on it. I think, uh, certainly not. But as he was saying, a, an archetype, um, that, uh, you were definitely starting to see. Do you have any more thoughts, uh, based on, uh, other lists that you may have seen out in the meta? 
Yes, so the uh, Flawless Host to Triple Lord Discordant list is something that is showing up more and more, and it's doing very well. Um, the last report I had uh, gone through, it was sitting at about a 57% win rate, um, and that is with several players, uh, like Alex was mentioning, uh, like it, it's, it's new to the meta, so people are having a hard time uh, trying to figure it out still. A lot of players use it as a bullet, and they'll send it in, and they just die right away. Uh, you can see that in, if you watch the BAO clip uh, with Don Hoosen versus is Jeff Robinson, and this is not to say that Don doesn't know how to play Lord Discordance. He, he obviously does. He was a bit in a bit of a rush, um, but uh, it's it's definitely a devastating list in the right hands. And I'm seeing a lot of four and ones and several five and O's now using this uh, triple Lord Discordant combo. Yeah, absolutely. Alex, of course, ran a, wound up uh, four and one. We also had uh, uh, he actually lost uh, in in the GT to the player that he beat on the final table. Uh, to win the Invitational, uh, but we also had uh, Simon uh, Erding uh, with the Tau Empire and Christopher Nyrup with Adeptus Heroitas, which is uh, covered on Chapter Tactics this week if you wanted to, to have a look. Anything uh, more you have to say about, uh, about this event over in Denmark? No, I just, I'm really excited. I'm really happy to hear uh, that they managed to pull off such a major, a large event. And I've always wanted to go to Denmark. So uh, right. you guys over there, if you're listening and you uh, want to pitch a ticket for this lonely guy in the Arctic of Canada, I'll definitely <laughs> come over next year and give you guys a time. And I'll even uh, drink myself to death if that's what it takes. You don't, you don't even have to change your, your sleeping patterns. Same long, uh, latitude. You just sort of cruise along the parallel and you're right there. Why don't we give Anders the, the final word before we move on to the next event? But all in all, we had a very, very good uh, tournament show. And um, as I said before, we have, we have uh, some good sponsors and, and, and we like to drink. And we like to drink a lot. And um, it starts in some of the late games and, and goes on all, all, all night. I, I don't think you could sell a grand tournament in Denmark any better than that. So why don't we use that as a beautiful segue to another hard-drinking part of the world, down under to Terracon. Yes, Terracon. Who would have thought that we'd have a week with three majors not even a year ago? Uh, from the frigid yet beautiful north, we move to this hellish terrorscape that is Australia, where 94 players from across the continent waged war on the table. Uh, it's the second largest competitive ITC Australian event of the year, and one of the oldest, clocking in well over the legal age of drinking in the US of A. Uh, Terracon is held in Naracourt, uh, South Australia, home of wine, sheep, world-class spelunking, and murderous creatures, just like the rest of Australia. You can catch full coverage of the event via the Down Under Network on Twitch TV and via Down Under Pairings. Uh, three players went undefeated with lists that once again show that in Australia, players do do their own thing and don't give a crap about whatever the rest of the world thinks. <laughs> That's uh, very true. And uh, just to point out, I don't know if we mentioned it, it was a 94-player event uh, using ITC format in this case. So uh, no, no shade to be thrown there. It's a fully-fledged ITC event. Uh, the uh, the first list of the winner five and zero uh, uh, was Gabe Delolio, who uh, I was told is a bit of an internet hermit. Yeah, from what I understand, he doesn't like to do interviews. Uh, when they asked to stream his game, he uh, he politely uh, refused. Um, so I don't even know if anyone knows what he really looks like. Uh, in Australia, politely refusing involves smashing a beer bottle on a table and threatening to cut someone's throat. But, you know, it was the height of politeness as far as they were concerned. Do we want to hit up maybe this Drakari list, see what was going on for Gabe? Sure. So Gabe Delolio, uh, he ran a Cabal of the Obsidian Rose Battalion with two Archons. 
one, two, three, four squads of uh, Cabalite warriors, three Venoms. He then had a Cabal of the Black Heart detachment with an Archon, Drazar, another four squads of Cabalite warriors, three Ravagers, and three Raiders. And then finally, an Ally Talk Airwing with three Crimson Hunter Exarchs. Sounds delightful. You know, I'll give him a kudo, though, at least for Drazar. Yeah, I've never actually seen that in a competitive list. I was quite excited uh, by the prospect. You know, these these wacky Australians, they can get away with all kinds of stuff. They can even run Grey Knights and win. (laughs) They can even run Grey Knights and win. So no commentary, unfortunately, from uh, from from the uh, the top spot. But no uh, surprises here that uh, not only did that list go undefeated, but got the most amount of battle points throughout the course of the uh, the event, uh, winding up tied with uh, obviously the other top place finishers. Second place, though, we will have a hilarious comment from this fella, Michael Hamilton, uh, running Tau. He was uh, running a spearhead detachment uh, uh, headquartered by Long Strike. Uh, along with a uh, fast attack of uh, eight shield drones and the heavy support, we had um, Long Strike's good buddies, the uh, two hammerhead gunships, uh, rocking the ion cannon, and a unit of three broadsides with the high yield missile pod and uh, advanced targeting system is their, is their upgrade. Then there was another Vanguard detachment, HQ'd by uh, Commander Shadow Sun, no surprise, with a command link drone. Nice little piece of tech there. Our little friend Diak. Grek, the best 20-point elite model in the business, two Riptide battle suits, uh, both with uh, advanced targeting systems uh, and velocity trackers. And then uh, in the fast attack there, we had another 18 shield drones. And then finally rounding it all out, we had another Vanguard detachment, so no battalions. Uh, and this is, of course, this is a, uh, sorry, this is a Tau Sept, led by an, an, uh, an ethereal and three Firesight Marksmen. I gotta assume that's a typo. I don't know what you think, Peter, because that's usually a Sasea Sept. Yeah, you know what? I would say that you're probably right, but um, who knows? Uh, I, I have seen some uh, commentary lately from people that have decided to go full-on Tau. Um, I'm not sure what the benefits are in this list, but maybe you never know. You know what? You just can't underestimate the crazy. Let's listen to um, uh, this player, um, uh, Mr. Michael Hamilton uh, discussing his his uh, use of Tau. I don't believe there's anything particularly special about my list. It's kind of just your standard Tau gunline. It isn't particularly fun to play, I found out this weekend. I was just helping my friend Adam do some testing because he could not play as he was running the stream. But it's probably not something I'd look to play again in the future in a hurry. My most valuable unit for the entire weekend, I would have to say, would be the broadsides. It had three of those with the high-yield missile pods and smart missile systems. Combined with the command and control node from Commander Shadowson, they killed quite a few things. And then also knights, very good against those when combined with the focus fire stratagem as well for Tau Sept. Have you ever heard a player more thrilled to be playing Tau? (laughs) I want to say I hope that uh, for the rest of eternity we only ever interview Australians and Danes because, oh my God, they're incredible. This man has said what every person that's ever played against a Tau player has wanted to say. (laughs) Yeah, and apparently playing with as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, I have similar feelings, but not because I was smashing people, as they like to say. (laughs) Um, He also also gave, uh, attempted to give a game recap uh, for his final uh, final matchup of the day, 
which he said wasn't much of a game. Uh, the other guy gave up in the third turn, and uh, he trailed off in sadness. So thanks, Adam, for making um, uh, poor Michael uh, play this list, you son of a bitch. And uh, may he never have to play Tau ever again, because that was an absolute misery, quite clearly. <laughs> and I will say, I... I was thinking while he talked about how terrible a time he had that the probable reason he went with Tau Sept for those marksmen was to be able to use the shield drones uh, for protection. That'd be the only thing I could think. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the marksmen probably just chilling in the back. You, you, you'll see the marksmen as Tau when there's sniper drones present. So maybe there was another version of this list where he was using. I don't know. It, it, it's it also a mystery. It's Adam Camilleri's list, and that man is a maniac, so who knows what he was actually thinking. And also functionally illiterate, from what I understand, so uh, mm. that that would uh, all... I don't uh, think he went to school. <laughs> raised outside. Uh, <laughs> raised in a cave. Um, so uh, that is one not particularly thrilled player, but let's move to a very enthusiastic player. Uh, Stuart Trainer here. Um, his list was mentioned on on Chapter Tactics. Uh, would you like to give it a quick rundown? Because he would love to tell you about it. I'm sure I'll do it. I'll do my best uh, for this legend, Stuart Trainer Terracon. He ran a Leviathan uh, Tyranid Battalion with a Neurothrope, a Tyranid Prime. A squad of 28 Termagants, a squad of 27 Termagants, a squad of 25 Termagants, a squad of 27 Termagants, a squad of 28 Termagants, and another squad of 28 Termagants. He then had a Leviathan uh, Vanguard detachment with Old One-Eye, my guess is to hunt some knights, um, four Venomthropes, 12 Zoanthropes, and then a Cult of the Four-Armed Emperor, Gene Stealer Cult's uh, Vanguard with a Patriarch, a Kellermorph, a Locus, and a Sanctus. Not too shabby. Now, uh, this list obviously can pack in a lot of bodies and heat. Um, there's uh, some other wrinkles to it that, uh, that Stuart's going to walk us through right about now. Hey, everyone. My name is Stuart Trainer, and I took uh, Tyranids uh, to Terracon 2019 and went 5-0. Um, my list was essentially 163 Gaunts, um, uh, 12 Zoanthropes and some Neurothropes and Old One-Eye uh, and the Gene Sealer Cult characters. Uh, so what was special about my list was that it uh, has a lot of board control um, and it also has 100 points of reinforcement, which allowed me to get a bit... I can tailor my match to my matchup so I can use it to spend uh, on 3 CP on Sportfield and I can produce... Nine sport months before the game and double move them to hit a important squad, or I can use it for endless swarm to bring back twenty five gaunts and just have even more bodies on the table. So another thing that's really important about my list is how it actually plays to win the game. Um, it's about denying kills from my opponent using the large squads of gaunts or the very hard to kill uh, zone throats. Uh, so essentially, if I can die, deny you getting kill one in your turn and I can kill one unit, I get kill more. Uh, but also, it's about denying secondary points. So uh, my opponents will always pick Reaper and get full points for that. That's that's a given. But um, if they pick Headhunter or Kingslayer on my Patriarch or even Gangbusters sometimes, I can actually hide those units and um, really effectively and just they won't get the points while I get points as stuff like engineers, recon, ground control, stuff that doesn't actually rely on me on killing stuff. So that's how I get uh, a very big differential sometimes. 
My MVP unit for the uh, weekend was definitely the zone throats. The zone throats are really durable with their three up, uh, feel, uh, th- sorry, three up invulnerable save. Uh, but being Leviathan, they also had a six plus feel no pain. So they soak up a lot of damage. Um, and a lot of players fell into the trap of shooting them in the first turn and trying to kill them. And they wouldn't really succeed. And then they wouldn't have, yeah, they just wouldn't have the firepower later on to deal with my massive horde of gaunts. So um, they were a really good sort of distraction and they could also take the punishment to survive. Uh, they also just deal a whole bunch of mortal wounds. Like I, I destroyed a whole knight in one turn with them. All right. Well, there's uh, Stuart's uh, diagnosis of his list. A little bit more than just a whole bunch of uh, termagants, don't you think, Peter? It is, and it's very fascinating when uh, when you hear people like this uh, go over the, the intricate details of their lists and how they function. I'm always uh, I'm always excited to to hear. Uh, like a new perspective on lists that we don't see as much here on uh, this side of the ocean. Yeah, I think we did see this archetype at least, well, as far as the lots of termagants uh, are concerned, out at uh, at uh, their big one, CanCon, if I'm not mistaken. For sure, and um, I believe um, their Darren Jack has run it in Canada a couple of times as well. Um, in fact, he I believe he won a tournament or two last year with essentially uh, this list with a few modifications. So it is around and it and it does perform. Very good. Okay, so rounding it out now, uh, we, we do have a fourth-place contestant, a pretty familiar-looking list. Uh, do you want to run this one down real quick just to make sure the Aussies get their full shake? Sure. So in fourth place, we have Jared Brehot. I apologize, Jared, for massacring your name. Um, he ran a Chaos Demons uh, Nurgle uh, battalion with a Demon Prince of Nurgle with a separating plate, a Poxbringer, two squads of three Nurglings, a 27 Plague Bearer Man squad. He then had a Supreme Commandment, a Supreme Command Attachment, Thousand Sons with Ariman on a disc, Demon Prince of Zinch, and two Exalted Sorcerers on discs. And he topped it all off with that Chaos Undivided Demon Battalion of a Corn Demon Prince with wings, a Flux Master, 25 Bloodletters, and then a squad of 20 Pink Horrors and a squad of 10 Brimstones with a 145 uh, reinforcement points to spare. Not too shabby. Another list featuring reinforcement points. Uh, let's hear what he had to say about his list. The two things that are probably worth pointing out are that the list does have an extra 245 points reserved for summoning, uh, which was enough to summon 20 lesser demons of any type, um, or against certain matchups I could summon other things against um, Tyranids. I was able to summon Flamers, for example. Um, as well as the summoning points, it's probably worth pointing out that the Demon Prince in the first Demons Battalion is actually a Demon Prince taken from the Death Guard Codex, so it is a mixed attachment and therefore doesn't get uh, MVP for me over the weekend was the Death Guard Demon Prince with the separating plate relic. So the relic does a mortal wound back on a 4-up every time you pass a save. Um, and this is probably a model that's not typically seen in this list archetype. Um, the list archetype obviously is, is becoming quite common, um, but this is a bit of a tech choice that I included to help me against orc matchups. Um, during the weekend, I didn't play any orcs, but it was really good against gene stealers and um, other plague bearer units also. 
All right. Again, sorry, guys, for, for again, having these clips cut off. Uh, again, it's something we'll get straight. But uh, thank you very much for running down your list. Um, and uh, Falcon, any final closing thoughts on Terracon? No, I'm absolutely terrified of everything in Australia, and I hope to visit there next year. I hope to never go there. And now, from the three majors, we move to the three GTs that rounded out our event. GTs used to be known as very large tournaments. Uh, this weekend, first up, we have the Hooded Goblin GT right in my own backyard, a 37-player ITC event in Georgetown, actual Ontario, Canada, run by Cody Brown and the folks at the Hooded Goblin uh, uh, Game Store, which is a fantastic game store if you're ever in the area. Um, this is a six-round event. So that's actually an intriguing thing and had a number of top quality players in attendance, actually, uh, including our eventual top three, uh, Ridvin, Josh Death, and Dustin Henshaw, member of uh, the ETC Team Canada, along with Ridvin. Um, yeah, this was uh, an event running at the exact same time as as uh, Beef and Wing, which is maybe an hour and a half from, from Georgetown, not far away, and you got another 37 players, so 140 players, give or take, uh, playing uh, in basically the same neck of the woods. Pretty cool stuff um you know first up we have uh, no surprise uh, you know in top spot uh ridvin aka scotty from scardcast um he was running a drew Kari list do you want to cue that one up for sure so uh ridvin martinez came in with a blackheart cabal the blackheart spirit uh, detachment with an archon Three ravagers uh, all with night shields one with a shock prowl and then two razor wing jet fighters all with dizzy cannons, as they like to say in Australia. He then had a Cult of the Cursed Blade battalion with two succubi, and then three squads of five witches, two of them with shard nets and impalers, one with hydra gauntlets. And then he had a Cabal of the Flayed Skull battalion with two archons, one, two, three, four, five, six squads of five Cabalite warriors. Ah, ah, ah two uh, four-man squads of mandrakes and then six venoms and a raider and six venoms and a raider um he likes he likes the uh the crafty little venoms and things uh scary kept it brief but he did uh he did take the time to let us know about his list as well something special about my list lots of venoms lots of speed it gives up points but with the maneuverability of a list you can really make up for shortcomings in your deployment or play style by being able to maneuver into the proper place at the right time. That's one of the benefits of playing a fast, speedy army. You can sort of make mistakes and then count on the maneuverability of the army to jump. My MVP unit this weekend were my two units of five Mandrakes. They performed every single time in every single game that I had. Oh, it's too bad. He, he did go a little bit more into detail about, about his Mandrakes. A, uh, a snowflake choice shared by fellow Mexican Lawrence Baker of, uh, mm. of Chapter Tactics. Um, what did you think about the list? I, I thought it was kind of neat. That was a, a cool little wrinkle, one I know that he's been using uh, a, a little bit with the Mandrakes. For sure, and I'm super glad that Lawrence Baker has joined the Chapter Tactics team. Uh, but aside from that, uh, no, this is a fantastic list. Um, <laughs> I've... 
I've seen uh, this archetype a few times uh, start to, it, and it's becoming more and more popular. It is actually after the change to Doom and Jinx, it has kind of become the new uh, Drukari archetype with um, a lot of Cabal of the Flayed Skull Venoms. The Mandrakes are definitely uh, Ascari's uh, piece de la resistance, we can call it. it it's, it's his little uh, added taste to the list. Um, but it's definitely performing very well in the competitive scene, and I, I expect we'll see more more and more of it um as so long as people keep trying to bring either these massed hordes or these relatively slower moving uh tank lists that we're starting to see more and more of yeah fantastic and uh as you probably heard uh, pablo talking about on tabletop tactics this week uh josh death brought uh a uh, a list with some uh interesting tech components in it let's just very quickly i'm going to try and quickly run this one down it was a battalion uh the uh, uh crimson fist Chapter Tactic Selection uh, with the Indomitus Crusaders uh, Vigilist Detachment bonus thing. Uh, The HQs were a Librarian of Phobos Armor. You had Mr. Pedro Cantor, everyone's favorite. Uh, Under troops, you had uh, three intercessor squads, uh, two of them 10-man, one of them uh, a five-man. And then you had another battalion detachment. This one is uh, uh, Imperial Fists and is using the Imperial Fist Siegebreaker cohort from Vigilus. Uh, it's comprised of a, a captain with a mastercrafted bolt gun, a librarian um, with the uh, Sparti- Spartian. Uh, yes, yeah, a, a relic uh, stormbolter. A relic stormbolter just for that extra sauce. Uh, and then uh, in troops, we had uh, three minimum units of, um, of uh, sorry, two minimum units of scouts with sniper rifles, a tactical squad, um, and uh, under the elites, uh, an apothecary under heavy support. Uh, the uh, Devastate, Devastator Centurions uh, that we heard a bunch about with Hurricane Bolters and two Heavy Bolters. A lot of DACA going on there. Um, and then uh, the here's the PS of the Resistance in this particular list. The Drop Pod. Uh, delightful. Mwah. And a uh, Vanguard Detachment, um, which is actually, it's the X-Men. It's, all, it's one, of each, uh, one of each assassin just to be that extra special snowflake that Josh Death always loves to be. For sure, get get that execution force to get the extra CP. Uh, one thing that um, was uh, brought up by Pablo, Pablo didn't think that there was enough uh, to kill tanks in this list. The one thing I would say, and it was kind of missed in that talk, I do believe Reese kind of touched on it a little bit. That Siegebreaker cohort, when combined with uh, Centurions with Hurricane Bolters and two Heavy Bolters, uh, especially six of them, that's going to put out. 20 some odd mortal wounds on any vehicle with their stratagem um and it will uh, start dropping knights like nobody's business if he can get within range and uh, it, this is a list uh, the, particularly the siege breaker cohort aspect that i'm starting to see more and more competitively um we saw it early on when vigilus uh, the, the vigilus book first came out but uh, they were performing very poorly simply because a lot of the long-range shooting in the game the dark reapers and the uh, knight castellan would just pick up those centurions long before they ever got close uh, close enough to do their damage but now that that uh, a lot of those uh, tanks and guns uh, that the centurions were afraid of have either been nerfed or have been swapped out to shorter range vehicles uh, they're starting to, to perform to the capacity that a lot of the like math nerds uh, early on were saying they could do so uh, we're seeing a lot of interesting lists uh, the one thing i'm curious as uh, for josh as to why he uh, put that phobos librarian in the crimson fists detachment i can see the benefit 
of getting some of those intercessors to pop off 60, 70 shots at a time um, in the right scenario. But um, putting a, a Phobos character in with those Centurion Devastators to give them uh, the plus one to hit uh, Warlord trait just makes them absolutely absurd. Well, and Maybe and that's why. Maybe it's overkill, but... Well, I mean, that is some astute analysis, and uh, for my money, all I wanted to know about was the drop pod. So that's all I asked Josh about, and, this, and that's what he's going to talk about right now. All right, well, I'd have to say the, uh, I don't know, the interesting part of my list, the one I got the most questions about is the uh, drop pod. Uh, the fact that I actually used a drop pod in the list was got a lot of interest. Um, I'd honestly have to say two of my six games I played, the drop pod actually singularly won me the game. They were the, it was actually the deciding point that won the game. Uh, <clears throat> the first game was round three where I played against Tyranid Army and uh, I used the drop pod to, uh, I actually deployed the pod rather than actually deep striking it and I deployed it in the gap of two ruins and then uh, put a couple squads, small squads inside those ruins and it, uh, it was running a Tyranid Army with the standard Swarm Lord and 20 Gene Stealers that were just going to rush at me turn one. And he went first, and the problem he had was he didn't have a choice at that point. He had to rush me because they were in the wide open, and I had 30. Right, so he, again, with the cutoff, um, put a put a nickel in the cutoff jar for me, Peter. Apologies. But there you go, Josh Death with his drop on tech. Did it blow your mind as much as you thought it might have? I think if I'd heard the rest of the story, it probably would have. But uh, no, it's exactly what I expected. Um, there was a, a, some initial uh, joking and talking about, you know, the, the large footprint after the FAQ that a drop pod can take up. Uh, now that the the uh, the feet down count uh, towards its uh, towards its uh, footprint. Mm -hmm. So hearing him say that he was able to, you know, block out such a large piece of terrain, and my guess is funnel all those gene stealers into that drop pod since they had nowhere else to go, so that they, they became a shooting gallery later. Uh, it, it doesn't surprise me at all. Absolutely. Now, rounding it out, also at 5-1 and one, uh, for our coverage of the Hooded Goblin is uh, Dustin Henshaw with, uh, with a Gene Stealer cult list. What, what were some of the big uh, differences uh, between his and what we saw Nick Natavati running? This looks a little bit more like what we've been seeing from Gene Stealer cults lately. Yeah, I would say this is uh, very similar to what you're seeing kind of worldwide. Um, like uh, Nick's list uh, has definitely been copied after his first win. The last couple of weeks, I've been seeing more and more of these Muscle Beach lists come out. But um, this Dustin Henshaw Gene Stiller Cult list is definitely more the norm. So he ran a, a mixed brigade um, with a Jackal Alphys, the Rusted Claw variety, a Magus of Bladed Cog variety, and a Primus of the Four-Armed Emporer because apparently Apparently, uh, he has uh, spelling issues. Um, he had 19 Acolyte uh, hybrids with hand flamers, one, two, three, four, five Brood Brother squads, a Clambovis, a Nexus, a Sanctus, and then one, two, three squads of Adeline Jackals, um, two of them running full demolition charges. And by the way, these are the minimum four-man squads. And one of them was just plain Jane shotguns and knives. He then had uh, three three-man Brood Brothers mortar teams. And a Tyranid a Gene Stealer Cult Detachment, for, Cult of the Forearmed Emperor. This is Deliverance Brood Surge for you. An Acolyte on, uh, Icon Ward, a Patriarch, one, two, three Acolyte Hybrid Squads, two of them with Max Roxas, and one just the minimum five-man Jiggeridoo. And uh, finally, he had a Hive Fleet Kraken Battalion with two Broodlords and three Ripper Swarms. He also managed to tie it up with 126 points in reserves. 
Yeah, you don't often see someone with the balls to bring a jiggery-doo to a tournament. I'm pretty impressed by that. It's mostly a New Zealand thing. If you look at the ANZ uh, tournament scene, full of jiggery-doos and all other varieties. It's the jiggery-doo meta. So why don't we go to Dusty? By the way, host of a great podcast that snuck up on me. He's got like 30 episodes. It's called uh, Stud or Scrub. It's about him and his pal uh, competing beyond the uh, Canadian ETC team. Spoiler alert, one of them made it, and he's going to tell us about uh, his list right now. Favorite part about my list is the 126 points of summoning. It gives me the versatility to summon exactly what I need when I need it. The 126 is carefully calculated for several different combos or options for any situation I could think of. It could be two Calamorphs, it could be a Rock Saw squad, it could even be a small five-man Oculite squad in conjunction with the Spore Field, like a nine-man Spore Field to get a nice big Alpha Strike on something in front of the lines there that usually dies to nine Mortal Wounds. The 20-man Acolyte Flavor Squad and Bladed Cog was definitely my MVP, and it usually is in most of my games and tournaments that I bring it to. It was game-changing in almost every single game. Being able to come in within three in- just outside of three inches and drop 20 D6, even though they're strength three, they're auto-hitting, and because of the Bladed Cog Warlord trait, they're re-rolling their wounds. They almost wiped out a unit of grotesques. They wipe out any screen that's in front of them, they are devastating. Dustin going to bat for the hand flamers. A lot of people calling that uh, maybe you know uh, a uh, not something to chase down the rabbit hole. Uh, he's definitely getting some work out of it. And I really think that Dustin and Stuart Trainer should uh, meet up and have drinks sometime because they both sound like very excited people about uh, Tyranids and Gene Stealer cults. Uh, Dustin loves him some Warhammer and uh, again has a great podcast if you ever want to give it a listen I've been getting into it lately I want to give a little honorable mention here Um, we won't go through the entire list in detail but this is a local uh, tyrant uh, in in our local meta uh, Devin Swan he wound up with the fourth place he showed in the tournament Uh, he was running a towel list that was more focused on uh, on mechanized choices Uh, he was running Sunshark Sunshark Bombers um, the Hammerhead gunships, the Sky Rays, which you see, but you definitely don't see the Sunshark Bomber. So I did ask him, why in God's green earth did you go this way? It's a very uh, significant departure from anything we've seen and managed to go, I guess, 5-1 and one in a six-round tournament. So uh, He was 4-2, and two, but still. Oh, sorry, 4-2, and two, my mistake. Uh, thank you. Uh, my fact checker is on the call. So, uh, <laughs> so here's Devin. Um, to some people, this might be a trigger warning if you've ever played against him. So why Mechtau over like the more traditional Riptide broadside Shadow Sun double Kalyon Tau army? Uh, reason being, um, even though the battlesuit list will win against like ninety five percent of what's out there right now, uh, problem is it has one incredibly bad matchup at the moment, uh, which is the Jim Vessel or TJ Lanigan style Chaos army, the one with like sixty plague bearers, uh, screening out a bunch of characters that do all the work. Um, the reason why it's a bad matchup. It's because those battlesuits base hit on fours, and plague bearers are very easy to stack negative to hit modifiers with. So, like, usually you'll see one unit at minus two, the other unit at minus one with a four pinball, and even with nine broadsides under Kalyon, even with everything possibly buffed up the way it should be, you kill like, maybe 15 plague bearers a turn, and then he just walks up the board, smites you out of existence, sits on every objective objective and just wins uh i was hoping he'd go into a little more detail about why this list is a better choice we'll have to tune in next week 
and find out. <laughs> do you have any guesses? <laughs> do, you, do you see where he's going with that? I mean, I guess there sure. is a bit better, uh, you know, ballistic skill with the with the hammerheads and uh, certainly more marker lights available in this list. Sure. So he's got a lot of things going on here. One thing is the massive amount of seeker missiles. So he's running 8, 10, 12, 14. He's running a, like a good 30 seeker missiles in this list. Um, so combined with the marker light support, uh, which he also has quite a bit of, um, he's capable of putting out a ton of mortal wounds. Um, not to mention those Sunshark bombers, while not exactly the best uh, bang for your buck, buck at 163 points, just like any flyer, they can uh, easily snipe out a character if uh, someone is uh, poorly positioned, uh, not something you see a lot with the you know mass Nurgle uh, spam lists, but a lot of those uh, Nurgle lists, uh, like TJ had talked about earlier, and which Jim has said you know uh, time and time again on podcasts, they require like excellent positioning and a lot of practice. So with them becoming more and more popular, people still trying to figure out that positioning, it's a it's an actual easy way to to win a game to get a, a flyer into their face and snipe out a character that someone wasn't expecting because they didn't uh, they didn't uh, plan out for them fantastic well thanks for that uh for that analysis uh why don't we flip it over to the warren the bird gt uh just a bit south of here in virginia so uh, Warren the Berg, uh, it was set up by Davis Fry and the folks at the Hobbytown USA, 37-player event, uh, and they used Nova missions. Um, not to be outdone by a lot of these other events that happened this weekend, uh, Warren the Berg had a number of top East Coast players in attendance, including uh, Shane Watts, who I believe, at least last I saw, was number four Imperium in uh in ITC, Ivan Cho, a fantastic uh, Eldari player who I constantly see showing up at events, and uh, the eventual winner of the event, Austin Wingfield, uh, running a list that you may have already heard if you happen to catch ta Chapter Tactics earlier this week, because it's, I, I believe, and uh, Jeff will definitely correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, model for model, uh, the list that uh, Jeff is planning on taking to the Gentleman's GT later this month and not the not the last time we've heard uh, of this etc players uh taking out and testing uh an, another player's potential list we saw that going on in australia um with the miserable towel player and uh and now austin wingfield potentially uh doing that here for team usa usa um so uh why don't we austin has some hilariously short uh little sound bites on this it was covered on chapter tactics um, so why don't we just uh, go straight to Austin and uh, bring this puppy home. I think my type of chaos list is hyper-aggressive, uh, which is pretty special with Mortarion and three Discordance, but uh, the anchor in the list is definitely the epitome. Again, the epitome, such an awesome model, really uh, wins the hard games for me, so she's going to be the MVP for this tournament as well. There you have it. Some great insights on that. Anything, uh, anything that you think he might have missed? Well, a big thing that uh, doesn't get talked about a lot is that uh, Crimson Slaughter Sorcerer that they've got in that list. Um, that Crimson Slaughter, uh, Crimson Slaughter, in case people don't know, in the Vigilance Ablaze book, they get a stratagem um, that uh, they can pick a piece of terrain anywhere within 12 inches of a Crimson Slaughter model, and all enemy units within three inches or within that terrain itself um, suffer a minus one to hit penalty. So you combo that with the minus ones to hit that you can uh, get uh, on um, with a Poxbringer on, say, Mortarian, and he is very hard to drop. So now you have a... Uh, Mortarian that is being warp timed by Arimon that's getting buffed to no end by the Poxbringer and himself 
flying into your face along with uh, three 28-inch moving Lord Discordance and this uh, contorted epitome that can, uh, like, it also just flies up the board. Um, And you run into a lot of really ridiculous models with a shite ton of attacks in your face turn one. And it's it's very hard to deal with, I imagine. And uh, you... Like you're not going to be able to drop whatever is in your way because of all these minus twos and minus threes to hit on whatever's protecting those characters before they get there. Um, I was fully zoned out until you said that that all happens on t- turn one. So I'll be uh, reviewing everything you just said uh, in closer detail going forward. Now, like Jeff had mentioned, um, it's not often what you're going to do. It really depends on your deployment. Yeah. Um, I've watched a couple of games with not just Austin, but some others playing this list uh, or variations, I guess, thereof. And it's you basically wait for your opening and then uh, you have six or seven big characters with, you know, 12 to 20 attacks uh, in your face within a round. And they probably started somewhere near their deployment zone when that happened. So. Fantastic. Well, congrats again to Austin. Um, uh, always a showman. Austin is also uh, in, in the podcast sphere, uh, starting up with Sean Naden and none other than Stephen Four, a.k.a. Juice. They're running uh, Team Battle Brothers, uh, which is, uh, I believe, a list consulting service and, and uh, Facebook Circle Jerk that you can uh, sign up to be a part of. And uh, they are also starting a podcast. Uh, should be rolling out. Uh, I think their second episode has already aired. Um, and they will be showing up in podcast feeds coming up real soon. Anything uh, else you want to call to attention for the Battle of the Berg before we close out the show with our last GT? Well, the only thing I would uh, like to say is I'm really disappointed that the Battle Brothers uh, did decide to steal um, our voiceover guy for their opening. But, you know, it is what it is. I don't think they knew. There is like a three-week uh, wait to get this guy to, to do his voice for you. Um, and uh, I guess great minds think alike. From a combat perspective or from a game perspective, I I would like to take a second to look at Mark Hertel's list. He came in third at right. War in the Berg. Um, this is his second big performance. He did win an event about two weeks ago as well with this exact same list. Um, he had a Cult Mechanicus uh, detachment battalion, Stygies, with a, two Tech Priest in- Engine Seers, 15 Skatari Rangers, three Dragoons, three uh, Onager uh, Dune Crawlers, and then a uh, Imperial Fists, once again, Siegebreaker Cohort uh, Spearhead Detachment this time, with the Captain and Phobos armor that I was talking about with the target priority, an Apothecary, uh, five Centurions, a Land Raider Crusader, um, and a a Thunderfire Cannon. And then he rounded it up with a Cadian Battalion with uh, two Company Commanders, uh, 30 uh, infantry, uh, a basilisk, and a wyvern. And uh, yeah, so this is list is it's kind of similar to Josh Deaths and what it's trying to accomplish. It's got a lot of firepower in the back end. Those Sidonian Dragoons are fast as all get out. Um, but the big thing and the probably what I imagine is what's doing most of his heavy lifting is these five Centurions combined with that captain and the apothecary to bring them back if you manage to kill any of them. It's amazing. You know, Risa has been hoarsely going off about these uh, these Centurion Devastators for a very long period of time. I'm happy to see uh, people final, finally listening to the Oracle of San Diego. He is a, a man of many wise words. Uh, from what I understand, never defeated in 40K. Uh, never, at, at least point. not by any man. No, no man. No man can defeat him. No, just Daniel Jurek. <laughs> and he is no man. He is, in fact... A wine orc, and speaking of orcs, we're swinging. No, that was Benjurik, but his wife uh, is also a fantastic uh, Eldari player. Oh my goodness! 
It's okay. The, the egg is on your face, not on mine, and I'm okay with that. You know, someone's got to be the Pablo in this relationship. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm more, really glad it's not me. And I'm more than happy to oblige because I love that man so much. He is a beautiful... Okay, a uh, quick aside. If you ever happen to stay in a hotel with Pablo, go to sleep first. The man <laughs> is a monster. Anyway. Between the sheets only. All right, going over the <laughs> amiable bright Kelowna GT. Uh, and I mean, what a better name for uh, for a Canadian GT than Amiable. Uh, and last but certainly not least, the Amiable Bright GT in Kelowna, British Columbia. Beautiful Kelowna, British Columbia. We got to emphasize that. Renowned for its stunning views, exquisite fruit, and plethora of retirees that think Florida is a bit much. Kelowna is the heart of the Okanagan and possibly the heart of Western of the Western Canadian meta. Hosted by the Okanagan Lifestyle Group, a real estate company of all things, Amiable Bright featured 37 players from along the West Coast doing battle for six rounds over two days. And the winner? Oh, I hope it's not the enemy of our podcast, Alex McDougall. Uh, well, he's the enemy of our sister brother podcast, Chapter Tactics. But luckily, every villain needs a hero. And ours this weekend was Scott De Winter Wilkie. De Winter Wilkie, the best name on the podcast this evening. Um, and uh, we're going to hear from him. But first, I thought I'd let... Um, uh, Alex McDougal, that son of a bee, uh, talked a little bit about uh, his uh, mids list that he brought. Uh, he he wound up four one and one with this list. I think wound up third. You are correct. Hey guys, this is Alex McDougal. I uh, just was at a local GT, ran the nids and GSC combo. Uh, found out that opportunistic advance nerf is pretty rough. I uh, didn't get the distance I wanted because I can't use it with Hive Commander. Left Swarmlord out to dry. Had the Aberrants be the stars of basically every game I played. Everything they touch dies, so don't forget about those. All I heard there was wah, 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 wah. <laughs> I mean, this guy. Don't <laughs> let his voice fool you, people. He is a he he is the wretched hive of scum and villainy of Warhammer 40k. <laughs> no, I mean if there's one card I expected Alex Dougal, Alex McDougal to play, it's not the sympathy card, you know. Um, yeah. But anyway, I, we digress because there's something. There, there's a real story here, and that's Scott the Winter Wilkie, uh, uh, winning with orcs, doing it the uh, I might say the hard way. So others might say the easy way. Um, why don't we have a quick look at his list and uh, and then uh, let him uh, tell us a little bit about it. Sure. So Scott De Winter Wilke mm -hmm. ran an Evil Sons battalion with a war boss on warbike with the Dakila Claw. He had a weird boy. He had 30 orc boys. Uh, he had three of those squads, so 90 orc boys in this. Uh, uh, six of them in each squad had shootas. The rest had sluggas and choppas. He then had a Bad Moons battalion with the uh, Dreadwog Specialist Detachment. In this battalion, he had a Big Mech with the KFF, a Big Mech with uh, the Dasuptup Shaka, Shock Attack Gun, 30 Gretchen, 15 Ludas, and a Wasbomb Blaster Jet. And then he rounded it off with another Bad Moons battalion, this time with two Weird Boys, another 30 Gretchen, and two Daka Jets. Not too shabby. Uh, those Dak Jets are going to feature uh, quite significantly in his rundown of this fine, fine orc list. As far as special pieces to my list, um, probably and it's, it's kind of the same answer as my MVP unit um, is the Dak Jets. Uh, they get undervalued so much. And so if people leave them alone, they just, they always make 
their points back. And I hate the term making the points back, but they always either get me a bunch of recon and or put a bunch of pressure on people's back lines that they're not expecting, snipe out a character. Um, they do they do a lot of work, especially for the cost that they are. Um, <clears throat> when people underestimate the accuracy of them, they go, it's, well, it's orc shooting. It doesn't matter that it's only 18 shots. It's They do the math on a five-up ballistic skill, but they forget strafing run and forget bad moons. And all of a sudden, you end up with a really uh, reliable... Uh, threat on the table and and if they're undervalued or underprioritized it wins me the game and if they're overprioritized it leaves the rest of the horde untouched uh yeah thank you scott that's actually something i've always wondered about myself i, I do see a lot of war players you know running the dac jet my assumption is always that it's just gonna get blown off the table uh immediately but and uh, i think i think you'd normally be right but according to scott it's it's often ignored and at this point, probably rightfully so. Um, a lot of players uh, are more worried about those Ludas or the big 30-man boy squads. Um, and they may just leave those things out to dry, hoping to deal with the, what they perceive as the bigger threats. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, orcs do present a whole lot of pressure, a whole lot of threats, and they can move all over the table. Um, we've got uh, two little quotes here just from his, uh, two little segments here just from his uh, top table game, I do believe. So why don't we uh, end our day of coverage with, uh, with some more notes from Scott. Game six had to probably be the most important of the weekend or important of the event. Um, playing JT McDowell, uh, he's a good friend of mine, and I just had an excellent time with him. It was a lot of fun, uh, and also because... Prior to that, I was five and zero, and I was so nervous going into Game Six, going, "Oh, now watch me, watch me flub this." So that I think was the most important one. So there you go. He did not flub it. As a matter of fact, of course, he uh, sealed the deal in that final game and uh, and and took it all home. And I think as a bonus, and and Peter uh, is probably gonna be upset about this, but as a special bonus uh, for uh, his excellent effort in running a orcs and b sounding like just a great Canadian guy. Uh, we're going to let him plug uh, a, a little event that he's he's running out in British Columbia. Uh, not sure if I can uh, plug this here, but if you guys are looking for a really fun tournament um, in Western Canada, the Boardroom Brawl is happening in Grand Forks, B.C., tiny town, which means free parking. Uh, there's lots of camping nearby, so you can bring your family on August long weekend, August 3rd and 4th, and it's just a blast. Everyone who comes really enjoys it. We're looking to pump up some numbers this year and hoping to turn it into a GT and eventually a major one year. So hopefully people can come up to this and uh, have a great time. Uh, there's a barbecue after the first night where everyone comes in. It's included in your ticket price, and we just all get together and have a really good time celebrating and including people in 40K. So there you have it. You got to get on down to Grand Forks. It's basically in uh, in the U.S., actually. <laughs> yep. But you know what? I was a little mad at first that we decided to sell out on our first episode, but <laughs> this guy, he really warmed my heart. You know, just... And just, free barbecue. You know, Barbecue and comping, right? I mean, that's oh yeah, that's the way to sell tickets, right there, bud. Oh, hundred percent there, eh? If they got some deluxe pizza on the go, I'd be right there in two seconds. Right there. So this, I think, concludes our uh, our coverage for the week. Uh, I think we did our damnedest here, Peter. It was a lot to cover, and uh, hopefully, uh, UTOs will consider us in the future and try to schedule around all your other events so I don't have to type up, oh, I don't know, two or 3,000 games a week. It would be super nice. 
Yeah, that'd be super nice. Or maybe our friends at BCP might find some way to automate this entire process. Who knows what the future and technological advances may bring us and this humble and nascent podcast. Um, I uh, want to thank everybody for for listening tonight to, uh, on this on this wild adventure as we've as we've gone down the road of tournament results. Yes, thanks again, everybody. And uh, w- once again, we'll definitely fix up the couple little clip issues we've had. But I hope you had a good time listening to us. One, like Val said, we'll be showing up sometime in a week, every week, Mondays, Tuesdays, or Wednesdays. And uh, yeah, yeah, keep listening. And actually, that sparked something uh, there that you mentioned. Uh, aside from please stop scheduling so many events, I actually keep doing all these events. It's really awesome. Um, is how do you actually qualify for coverage? So we, we generally we're going to piggyback on you know what you're doing over at 40kstats.com, which I don't even know if we plugged yet in this episode. 40kstats.com for all your meta data needs. Um, what is what are, what are the rules for for being covered by that website? Sure. So for me at 40kstats.com, I will include you in the top fours as long as you were a GT or major and you provided the, and I have access to the lists. That's all I need for that. If you want to get into the stat side, if I want to, if you want to have your event uh, tracked for global purposes in terms of like how each player and each faction are performing, uh, for that, uh, I require that not only you be a GT or major, uh, but that I have access to at least 90% of the lists that uh, attended your tournament um, and that you uh, that the tournament didn't um, make any uh, modifications to say like the standard uh, 40k comp uh, so an example would be last week they had the or the week before last i guess at this point that conrad curse is right gt excellent event i heard only great things about it but they did uh, not allow um, uh, lords of war at the event uh, and i believe they set a two detachment limit and one of them had to be a battalion or brigade. So for that, I definitely kept it for the top fours because it was a GT. They and they had all their lists available to me, which was super awesome of them. Um, but given that they changed the comp so much, um, it 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 uh, would skew the stats. So I didn't include them in the in the overall stats that you'll see. Say if you go check out the like the faction or the sub faction uh, analysis on my page. Fantastic stuff. Well, um, I guess that's about it, folks. So uh, get your TOs. Make sure that they're collecting lists, posting them, hit those GT numbers, um, but do it in a clean and orderly fashion. And uh, before we sign off, we did mention that Team Battle Bros, with their early running podcast, uh, might have stolen our, our, our intro guy. But I'll tell you what they didn't do, Peter. You know what that is? What is that, Val? They didn't upgrade to a sick outro. Have a great night. Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. BCP.